Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning. I'm losing my voice. I'm singing too loud. Oh, Jesus, help me. Yo, can I just say this? I don't even think I need to preach this morning. Do I get an amen? Amen. I know some of you want me to, but I will preach. But the beautiful thing is, like, we just had a moment with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Like, think about this. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said he's mine. Did anyone get a little bump in that? Anyone bump a little? I was bumping a lot. I was bumping a lot. So it is good to be here. This is not a prop. Just in case I cry, I need a little tissues. So there's no prop to this. It is great to have you all here. I love Easter Sunday. But I believe this. I believe every day is Easter. I genuinely believe that. I believe that when we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that every day is Easter. And one of the things that I love about for our board, our, our leadership team prays every single day together. <laughs> the church, amen is an aha. So give me an aha, right? So if you're from Jersey, just give me an aha, which means amen in New Jerseyan. And so I love that one of, one of our board members had said, Anna Monforth had said, this should be a simple Easter. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because the Easter message is simply profound. We don't need to make it more than it needs to be. And so here is my prayer this morning, that this morning would be simply profound. We have a little plaque that we have in our house. I'm going to show it on the screen right behind me. And I love this statement. Silly rabbit, Easter's made for Jesus, right? So first service, that did not go over well at all. I mean, literally... I'm excited because you guys are more excited. I don't know if it was first service. Everyone was getting excited to go to the brunch or whatever they had to get to. I'm like, Jesus, they are deer in headlights. But we made it through together. So here's what I want us to do. Easter and holidays are very, very confusing. There's a lot of emotions. For some of you, you are so excited. Anyone excited in here? Right? Are any of you sad? There's probably some of you. So let me give you an example. Last night, Kyle and Kara Mack had their baby, Josie Lee, right? And we are in a very fun season where we have so many young people that have been part of our church getting married and having babies now. And so like, honestly, you know, Kyle lost his father at a young age and he lived with us. So in some ways, he's like a son to me. And I was just texting and saying, man, this is so awesome. And my heart filled with joy, knowing that he wants to be that daddy that he never was able to have. So yesterday was a celebration in the Parker house. But then by 7 p.m. last night, one of our young adults called me and he said, mom's got 48 hours to live. And this is the nicest guy in the world. This is a guy who would literally do everything and anything for each one of you, just so you would know the love of Jesus. And so in one moment, I am literally having tears of joy. And in the next moment, I literally had tears of sorrow. 
And I really think that's what the holiday season's like. Because think about this. Someone's life is going to be changed today. It's not a matter of if someone's life's changed. It's that it will be changed. And you will always remember Easter 2023. You will always remember singing that song. The enemy thought he had me. Nope. Jesus said I'm his. But then there's going to be some of you. That, that next holiday, because of sorrow or loss, you're going to say, oh, I just got to get through this holiday. And then a year later, I just got to get through this holiday. And for some of you, there, there's going to be these boulders in your heart because of loss that you're never going to be able to move on. And here is my prayer today. My prayer is that both groups of individuals will find hope this morning. Because honestly, I don't need to preach. Because the Holy Spirit is already up to something with the worship. But it's my role to simply land the plane. What is it that God wants to say to us this morning on this Easter 2023? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to have open hearts. I want you to have open minds in what Jesus wants to speak through his word. Let's pray. Jesus I'm humbled for the privilege to preach on this day. But if I'm fully transparent, I am more humbled that you know me and you love me and you rescued me. And I am no longer, no longer connected to the enemy, but I am living with my victor. So Holy Spirit, do a special work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen behind me. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to have a fresh look at what this passage says. It says in verse 1, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So here's what's so important. We always have to understand background. Because when we don't understand background, what we do is we take scripture and we make it fit into our world rather than allowing us to step into God's world. We've been talking about the upside down and I'm not talking about stranger things. What I'm talking about that what God wants to do is he wants to turn our worlds that are upside down, right side up. And what we've been studying is that when you really read the Easter narrative, is that there's a lot of things that, that the disciples didn't get, and there's a lot of times that we read scripture and we don't get it, and all Jesus wants to do is to turn our world right side up. And so, this is what happened. It was the end of the high, high, holy holiday. It was the day after Passover had ended. And the night before, when it was over, that night when the Passover had ended, three women went to the market to buy the spices to give Jesus a proper burial. 
And the reality was this, is they were not allowed to give him proper burial because when they took him off the cross, it was right before sunset. And so they just put the body in the tomb. They never gave Jesus a proper burial. And those ointments that we read about, there was nothing sacred. It was for one reason and one reason alone, that the body would not smell. How sad is that? We always read it that there's, there's this, this spiritual component, this, this deep anointing of, of a body. It actually was so that the body would not stink. Because a year later, they, they would take the bones, the remains of the body, and they would put it in a box and a chest. And so all the ladies wanted to do is give Jesus a proper burial. That's it. And what's sad is, is that as everyone was leaving Jerusalem, some people were going back to Egypt. Some people were probably going back to Ethiopia. Some people were traveling because there were Jews all over the world. You see, when you study the Old Testament, you realize that, that people were drawn to God because of God's faithfulness. And I hope that each one of you is drawn to God because of God's faithfulness in someone's life. If you are here visiting today, you are here because someone possesses the hope of Jesus. And you're saying, I want a little bit of that hope. If you really got it, and it's really real, I want a piece of that. And so people traveled all over the world to celebrate Passover. And so, you know that day when you're packing up for vacation, and the kids are really loud, and they're crying, and all you want to do is get home, but you don't want to get home because you have to start work again? And so there's all these emotions. But as there are so many emotions as well. There was sorrow because those who loved Jesus, and I'm saying that past tense because they really believe it was past tense. Jesus is gone. We loved him. They went to the tomb and all they were concerned about when they were going was the stone. You see, these three ladies weren't going to be able to move the stone because it took soldiers, plural, to push the stone over the hole of the tomb. And they were so wrapped up with this stone that they're thinking like, is anyone going to help us? And the reality is this, is that as much as this was a physical stone, it was an emotional stone. It was a relational stone. You see, what happens is, is that we all have things in our life that cause sorrow, that cause pain. And when I think about the stone, about this, I'm thinking about that, that one next morning or that next holiday when you've lost a loved one and you're literally thinking like, who's going to make the mashed potatoes? Whose house are we going to go to? Or, or think about the husband who, who loses the wife at a very elderly age who is so dependent on the individual and they wake up and they literally feel hopeless and helpless. They can't even do their daily stuff. And oftentimes I see this with some of the most successful men. They've accomplished all these things in life, but the moment they lose their spouse, it's almost like they become a child again. Or what about that wife who is dependent on the husband to do certain things? Now, I'm not going to make a stereotype, so no one throw anything, okay? I know this, that out of all my friends who are married and they have yard work 
or they have to shovel the driveway. I will say that 99% of my friends take care of those things except for one. My one friend takes naps while his wife's cutting the lawn. My wife is literally sending me videos of his wife snow blowing the driveway. I'm like, dude, get out there. And I'm, I'm going to sue. I'm like, should I go help? Should I go help him? And she's like, leave it alone. Don't touch it. Take care of ours first. <laughs> but, but think about this. For, for, that, for that wife who's just so overwhelmed, who's just thinking like, how am I going to do certain things? Or like for my wife, she lost her father at a very, very young age. What about that child who loses a parent? And there's some really big life decision, going to college, dating, balancing a checkbook. Well, we really don't balance checkbooks anymore, right? We just go online and we look, right? But, but think about that. And there's this like, who's going to fill that gap? And we have these emotional stones that, that even in the midst of everything going around, to protect our hearts, we ask the hard questions. Who will fill the gap? Who will fill the gap? And I will say this, that in all of our lives, there is a stone that we literally feel no one can replace. There is something in each of our lives that only Jesus can replace. There are things that you are going to experience that you earthly can fill in, that others can do for you. But there are certain things that only Jesus can do for you. That's it. End of story. And we, when we lose some of the most valuable things in our life, it brings to reality of who God is actually can be and who am I in light of him let's continue reading but when they arrived they looked up and saw that the stone which was very large had already been rolled away aside when they entered the tomb they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side the woman was shocked but the angel said, I love this that God does this. Don't be afraid. Like seriously, if you ever see an angelic being, are you going to be terrified? Yes. Seriously, if you've ever had like a real encounter, even with the Holy Spirit, it's so amazing. Yet at the same time, it's kind of terrifying. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. So already, they were terrified. They were terrified to go to the graveyard. How many of you like graveyards in here? Anyone? Anyone hate graveyards? Seriously, of course, Joel raised his hand, right? Joel loves graveyards. But seriously, how many of you hate graveyards? Anyone? Anyone? I hate them. I'm going to tell you a funny story when I was a little kid. We one time played Ghost in the Graveyard, right? Where should you play a Ghost in the Graveyard? In a graveyard, right? That's the name of the game. And there was this one man, his name was, was Brian Bothwell. He was the strongest human being I ever knew. Now, I was a little guy, so he was just kind of like the Hulk to me. And he said to us, because they lived on a farm, he said, hey, 
let's go play ghost in the graveyard, in, in the graveyard. And I'm like, uh-uh. But when you are the youngest or you're the middle child of seven boys, your older brothers say, you either go or you die. You get buried there or you play there. And, and I'll kid you not. This is what he did. He was hiding. And the whole goal was for him, for us to find him. And out of nowhere, the sun was setting and it was getting dark and the music just turned on into the atmosphere. And he wrapped his arms around a grave tomb and he pulled it out of the ground and he started screaming for his life. And all of us boys ran for our lives. And ever since that day, I have been terrified of graveyards. I am terrified that someone is going to rip the stone out of the ground. Not move it away, just rip it out. But they went, and they were terrified. And as they approached, the stone was gone. Now think about this. They knew guards were there, and the guards had fled. Would you go in? Uh-uh. I would not go in. I would not enter that tomb. And yet, there was such fear, anxiety, and concern what had taken place. And so when they step into the tomb, it was lit up with the presence of God. And I think that's something we have to remember. That in our most sorrowful, darkest hours, when we allow ourselves to step into the tombs of those pain, that's when God lights things up most. And there was a man, a young man, who looked like an angel. And right away, he says what all angels say, don't be afraid. Thank you, Sherlock, because I am terrified. But there's this concern. And he says, look, he's not here. He is risen from the dead. Amen. 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 And so, service is over. And so in this, he's gone. He's gone. And he says, don't be afraid. And he gives the details of exactly what had happened. Now, I want you to know this. We serve, we have a God of details and concerns. We have, we get to know, we get to serve a God of details and concerns. And right away, the biggest question they had was, what happened to my Jesus? What happened to our Jesus? Who stole Jesus? Because their human ability was not to remember in a place of pain and trauma things that they knew were supposed to happen. So we love and we serve a God of details and concern. In Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 9, as we've been studying the last couple of weeks, Jesus told the disciples every single thing that was going to happen. I made sure that, that over three weeks ago, we spoke on Mark chapter 8. 
I made sure that last week we spoke on Mark chapter 9. I made sure that, that today is really culminating into what Jesus told the disciples so that when we get to the angel, we remember that Jesus prepped all of them for this moment. Verbatim, in 8 and 9, he said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put in the grave, and I'm going to be resurrected back to life. But the truth is this. In our own traumas, we oftentimes don't have the ability to hold on to the hope that someone else has already shared us about before something horrible was going to happen. But this is what I love about this. Jesus was concerned with the disciples' hearts. Jesus was concerned that they needed to know the details so that when all of this unfolded, especially that Friday, for them there was nothing good about that good Friday. There was nothing good about that Friday. That was the worst Friday of their lives. But he said, you're going to get to that day and remember and remember, and remember. You see, God is such a God of details that he even told the disciples before Jesus ever, enter, ever entered into their lives, if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, that these things were gonna unfold. Their whole lives, they would go to synagogue school, and they would go to synagogue school, and they would read Isaiah, and they would read Ezekiel, and they would read Psalm 22. If you were here on Friday, you read through Psalm 22 that all of these events were going to happen. You see, God is concerned with every single aspect of who we are. We think that when we, when we read Psalms that it says, you know, you created me in my mother's womb. You know my inmost being. We're like, oh, that's a good one and done verse. That's not a one and done verse. If you turn to Isaiah, the prophet says it again, that he formed us in the womb of our mother. And when we read scripture time and time and time and time again, he repeats himself so that the people of God would be ready for whatever crises that were going to happen. And here's the truth. We will all have crises. Uh-huh. You will all experience trauma. Do I get an aha? Uh -huh? The question is, are we prepared to allow God to step into our crises and into our traumas so that we get to experience this resurrected life for why we even come here and celebrate this Sunday? God cares what you do this afternoon. God cares where you choose to work or where you choose to go to college. God cares what you are going to do this summer because even this summer has purpose. God cares about all the things that you consider stupid, he considers valuable. You see, as a parent, I worry about those things for my children. And we talk about this, we sing about this like God is our father, right? That he's, he's our father. He's a good, good father. And we sing about these songs. I care about where my kids went to college or chose not to go to college. I care about who my children date. 
I care about how they live in a life of integrity. And when they're wrestling with integrity, that I'm able to be there to be present, to point them back to a place of integrity. When my kids were little, I started a discipline. And I still do it to this day. And I will do this until I pass. Hopefully not for a long time. (laughs) Since they were born, if you look over all of our door frames, there's oil. And I started anointing our doors with oil. And so before we ever sell our house, we have to paint all of our door frames. (laughs) Because some of them are really nasty looking. It's not because they're dirty, it's because there's oil on them. You see, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And I walk up to every door every single night, and I usually, it'll, I'll, like, I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up and I'll run out and she'll go, where are you going? I'm like, I gotta go do something. And I lay my hands on all my kids' doors. And I bless them. And I bless them with four things. Things that only God and I need to know about. And I'll never forget that, that one morning I woke up and one of my kids said, hey, came up to me and said, hey, Dad, you forgot. I did it for you. I said, forgot what? I said, to pray over our doors. You have no idea what you are imparting into your children. Do you hear me? And it's never too late to start. Because the way that I am concerned about my children, my heavenly father is a thousand, billion, trillions times more consumed with me. And so he gave him the details. Let's continue in the the chapter. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Underline that. They didn't say anything to anyone because they were too frightened. Remember that. They didn't say or tell anybody because they, are, they were too frightened. You see, the reality is this, is that when we go back to Matthew, Luke, and John, we know that there was a place where they, they composed themselves, and they ran and they told the disciples. And we read that, that something else unfolded. But Mark ends this book very, very cleverly. May I have some water, honey, He ends this book very cleverly. Yes, there are two endings, but the added endings are not Mark's. It stops at verse 9, and there's this abrupt ending where they were terrified and did nothing. You see, what the angel said was this. Jesus did exactly what he said. He came to redeem all humanity. And not only all humanity, but all those who thought they did the unforgivable. Anyone ever feel like you've done the unforgivable? Anyone, right? That you literally said like, like, Jesus can't love me. But this is what it says in scripture. It says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. God is so rich in his kindness that his whole plan was to take broken, sinful, messed up, complicated humanity and redeem them so that we no longer live in a place of confusion. 
We no longer feel that there's a veil between us and God. There's no, no longer a, a need to, to cling to things, but rather we are redeemed. We are made whole. We are made right. So we can stand before our Heavenly Father and say, I am yours and you are mine. Now, for most of you, that's really refreshing. But there's some of you in this room that are saying, but you don't know my narrative. Well, you don't know my narrative. You see like the the clean cut pastor guy. You don't know Rob before Jesus. You don't know dirty old Rob, messed up Rob, who was like Peter. And how intimate is it this, that the angel said, not only go and tell, but make sure that the one person that needs to hear more than anyone else is Peter. Why? Because this is what scripture says. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Peter, the one the whole church was going to be led by, messed up gravely, gravely. The unforgivable sin, many of the disciples said. And the angel said, go tell Pete. This message is for him too. No matter how far you run, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how many times you mess up, God's love is redemptive to all humanity. Once and for all, you no longer have to be covered in that shame. You no longer have to allow stones to keep you away from God. But I love what he says. He says, go to Galilee. Why is Galilee so important? We always think about the holy city, Jerusalem. The angel didn't say go to Jerusalem. He said go to Galilee. Because Jerusalem was a sign only for the Jewish people. But when you study Galilee and you look at Galilee and and you go back and forth, when Jesus went to Galilee and left Galilee and back to Galilee and left Galilee and back to Galilee and, and, and left Galilee, it was a place where he went into all of the world. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. The Samaritans. How did he go see the woman at the well? He had to go to Galilee. And he said, we're not just going to Jerusalem, but we're going to the world. You see, that's where Jesus met him. When Jesus returned, he he went to Galilee and he said, we're going to go to all the world. Not some of the world, not partial world, because every single one of us deserves redemption. Not because of what we can do, but rather what he has already done for us. But here's the problem. They froze. They froze. And too often in our lives, God does such big, amazing things. Things that we have prayed for. Things that we say only God can do. And when he does them, we miss it. They're called kairos moments. These divine moments when God shows up and he's saying, who am I and who are you? And let's do this together. There's questions. When divine things happen in our lives and we literally say like, are you really God? Do you really love me this much? And Jesus says, yes, I am. How will you respond? How will you respond? But unfortunately, here's the problem. Most people are paralyzed and do nothing with what the Spirit of God is doing in their life. It's like a Sunday morning. 
People are like, man, that was the greatest Sunday ever. Holy Spirit showed up in worship. Wow, your word was so good, blah, blah, blah. And then next Sunday, I'd be like, hey, so last week we talked about, and everyone forgets what I said, right? It's so encouraging. It makes me feel like my time is so well spent. It just makes me say, like, Jesus, I just want to spend more time to have a clearer word for everybody. But, but right, isn't that true? Right, that, that, that God's doing something. And because we don't respond, we forget it. We're paralyzed. And the angel says, stop being paralyzed. Go. Go. Go and tell. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere. It's actually a Christmas song. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. But really now we get to say, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is alive. Silly rabbit. Easter's made for Jesus. How true that is. And yet, because we have become paralyzed, we have missed out on the deep meaning of what Easter actually is. I've been there. I've wrestled with it. I actually remember this, and this is totally not in my notes or part of my sermon. I'll never forget, it was a Saturday before Easter, 1990-something, before I ever met my wife, in the middle of college, wrestling with stuff. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and I had this moment with Jesus. I was a young man who was trying to live for Jesus and wrestling. Wrestling with future, wrestling with character, wrestling with what, where he took me from, from here to there. And I remember getting on my knees that Saturday, that silent Saturday, and said, Jesus, this Easter will change my life. And all I remember was thinking, and how will I wake up? What will I do with it? I will say this. That Easter, I woke up and said, he is risen in me. I kid you not, in less than three weeks, everything fell in place. I met my wife. I went to a party I didn't even want to go to. I wanted to go rollerblading. Yes, it was once cool. Probably not. <laughs> but I chose to go. And I gave God my yes. And I started learning to give God my yes because I was terrified and I was frustrated with always being paralyzed. So this Easter, let me leave you with three thoughts. First, what's the stone in your life that you actually believe that God can't roll away? What's that stone that you've been trying to push away all by yourself? What's that thing in your heart that, that, that is dead? And all you do is you, you look at that, that, that stone and you're saying, that's a tombstone. And Jesus is saying today, I will roll away every single stone in your life. Every stone, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially, I will roll away every single stone that you can't move. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, 
If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible with God. What is that stone? Because even though we all look nice, I never wear khakis on Sunday. I'm freaking people out with a shirt on. I'd never dress like this. It's a picture of hope. It's this whole idea that oftentimes we come to these holidays with, with, a, with, a, with a fake false facade. And Jesus is saying, I want to take that stone and roll it away once and for all. That's it. It's done. It's finished. It's redeemed. It's not being redeemed. It's redeemed. It's over with. Give Jesus that stone. Two, the tomb is filled with hope. The tomb is filled with hope. Even though it's empty, it means that the dead is not present. There are things in your life that Jesus wants to just steal from your tomb because he wants you to know that it's gone and there's new life to be had. Not in you, but in him. Jesus says, I've come that they would have life and life to the fullest. I don't want to live a good life. I don't want to live an okay life. I want to live the best life that God created me for. A life that may be filled with times with trauma and crises. A life that may be filled with highs and lows, celebrations, and even mourning. But in each stage of my life, I want there to be hope present. Come back to the illustration of the young man that I talked to last night. He's like, Rob, I know I will see her again. I know I will see my mom again. I want my friends to know that. You are the hope. You are the one who is telling the hope that she possesses. That yes, that you may not see her right now or the next 20 or 30 years, but you will see her again because our hope is in Jesus. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And anyone who believes in him will not die. I ain't dying. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. This tent will die, but one day I will live forever. And in Jesus, because of Jesus, through Jesus, so can you. So stop being paralyzed. Stop. Go. Go be the hope that you possess. Some of you are here because of a loved one or a, a friend that brought you. And you're thinking like, I'm going because of you. There's something pretty good I see in you and I, and, and I want a little bit more. And it's not about the church. It's not about the pastor or the band or the nice, really awesome people that go to the plant, the greatest people in the world. Do I get an amen? Uh-huh, right? I would go to the plant. I would go to the plant. I would hang out with you guys all day long. But you are the hope carriers. You are the hope possessors. And people see your hope. People want you. Go. Take communion together. The communion cups are in the seat in front of you. 
there's some of you who have not taken communion in a long time. There's some of you that feel very unworthy with communion. But here's what I want to do right now. I invite you. I give you permission. I am your pastor in this moment. I am your pastor in this moment. If Jesus is nudging you, if Jesus is just pushing you in, I want you to take communion. I want to give you permission to take communion today. Because on the night before that he was betrayed and sent to the cross, he took his body, the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Broken. In other words, he moved the stone away. Everything he was going to endure was for you. Everything that he was going to endure was for me. There is no sin that can separate you. There is no incident that can separate you. There is no circumstance or emotion that can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And your Easter hope is that you get to commune with him. Let's eat together. I gotta be honest with you. When we take the elements, my favorite part is the cup. Because whenever Jesus takes something out of our life, he always replaces it. He said, this is the covenant, the cup of the new covenant. Drink it together. And what he's saying is, is because you've been redeemed, I'm filling you. I'm nourishing you with my Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is your advocate. That Holy Spirit is what gives you life. That Holy Spirit is what eradicates all death and pain out of your hearts. And so when we drink the cup, we're saying, Holy Spirit, you, you are my signifier that Jesus is alive, alive in me. I want you to say this to yourself. If you need to, Jesus, fill my tomb. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.